Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we will thank our friends, Tarpon Sellers, Tarpon Sellers Wine uh, Company. Great people out of Napa Valley, title sponsor of the Nolcast. Uh, wonderful to hear great feedback from them, Bud. I set up a call with our friend Jeremy earlier this week. Just wanted to make sure that we're giving them the same type of response that the legendary team or congruity gets. And, um, you know, if we have a, a great home loan experience, we get an email. If we have a new partner with congruity, uh, I jump on the phone call with Matt Lewis. We kind of don't know exactly the immediate feedback uh, from Tarpon Sellers, but uh, everything's been fantastic. It's my understanding. I think six of our listeners have now gone on vineyard visits out there. Uh, which is just fantastic and probably something that you and I should do, bud. Uh, but great people at Tarpon Cellars, fantastic wine. We love working with them, and thank you so much the support that you, the listener, have given them. Uh, that's actually a great idea, man. We 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 should take the girls uh, to go to Tarpon. We that should. Be, that'd be dope. And then maybe we'll set up Nolcast weekends in the future, where uh, you know, ten listeners and ourselves can have uh, experiences in California and somehow claim that as a business expense. So uh, sounds great. All right, man. So interesting times in the college football world. We've got some some stuff to jump on here. Uh, have some listener questions, some listener questions that have some uh, <laughs> some length and uh, substance to them. So we'll uh, try to leave those times. But uh, let's talk real quickly about some of the scheduling conversation that's out there from the ACC, uh, what they're trying to do from a TV standpoint. Uh if you're a listener to this podcast, you're probably well aware that there's nothing that the ACC can do immediately, snap its fingers and make up the rather significant gulf in revenue uh, disparity that exists between itself and some of its peers. Um, but, you know, this is a step. This is something that they're looking at. Uh, they've kind of kicked around the broader pod idea, but I remember talking about this on the pod, uh, the podcast. We'll do that to <laughs> avoid confusion here. Somewhere in the area of 2016. So what is thrown out right now is not a true, uh, what I would call a round-robin pod, but more maybe permanent pairings with uh, individual teams, or at least, you know, formatted pairings for the time being uh, with individual teams in areas and then kind of going from there. So, uh, yeah, we'll start a conversation with ACC scheduling. Yeah, and obviously this came up last week. Uh, last week I had to take some paternity leave, and then we had to go to a uh... – well, I would say I guess all, all funerals are uh, not scheduled, uh, but sorry for the, the layoff there. Just sometimes uh, life gets in the way. We appreciate everybody's patience with that. Uh, but I, I thought this topic was interesting enough to to keep on, on the sheet as opposed to punt because it does really impact the future uh, of the league that FSU is almost certainly going to be in for the next 10 years-ish, uh, unless something weird happens, which, of course, maybe it could. Uh, but... The reason they're doing this, I think, is to try to get uh, the team to try to get all teams in the league to play each other more often. And they don't, they're not looking to get more Duke-Syracuse matchups, really. They're looking to have uh, better matchups throughout the year uh, because right now you have a quite an imbalance of divisions. I mean, if you stuck NC State in the Coastal, they would be the favorite to win the Coastal, right? I mean, if you stuck Wake in the Coastal, would Wake be the favorite to win the Coastal? When you get Sam Hartman coming back, they would have been the best team in the Coastal last year other than Pitt, um, you know, when they had Kenny Pickett. So you have a, I mean, probably four of the top six teams in the conference are consistently coming out of, out of the Atlantic. 
And so you're having a lot of just bad games from the coastal that ESPN's not really wanting to showcase. Whereas if you could if you could break up some of these Atlantic teams, you may get some better matchups. The other thing this could do here is it's going to set up a situation where you're not having like East versus West or Atlantic versus Coastal play for the conference championship game. And recall that last year, the ACC uh, and ESPN had their look-in window, their, their contract they signed with that grant of rights had multiple look-in windows. And unless I missed it, I don't think they're getting paid any more money or not, not substantially more uh, than they were making before. And I think if they, that decided something there, they would have said it because it would have been good PR. Uh, they don't have much of a product to sell right now. Isn't that a giant red flag? But sucks. But I don't mean course. to interrupt you, but what what's what's the lookout the look in window every five years? Something like that? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Would Your it be possible for good. Clemson to have had a better 10 year run than they've had the last you know since 2012 to 2022? I just for people who are like, oh, the ACC can play their way out of this, I just don't know if it's possible. I don't no, know that you have a dynamic TV product enough, even if you have a school like Clemson that's had the best 10-year run in their history, uh, that's recruited a level of talent that they've never been able to get to that campus before. Doesn't seem to have moved the needle one bit at all on your TV deal. So uh, that is interesting and concerning in its own right. Clemson's not a national brand. It's just not going to create a huge national following. Uh, if you gave the ACC the truth serum, what school would they want to be the best? Now, they're not going to rig things to make it this way because they, you know, they really wouldn't have done much different than, than they already have done. It would be Miami, right? Miami in a huge TV market. They were the bad boys of the 80s. I think second place would be Florida State as far as like what would be the absolute best for this league, right? Because if when Miami's bad, the fans don't support. When Florida State's bad, the fans still support. So if you actually could get Miami to be like a nationally elite brand consistently, I think that'd be the absolute best thing for the ACC. Clemson is not really going to move the needle nationally. They're just, you know, little old Clemson. They're, they don't have that kind of long-term following. I mean, they, they won the title in, what, 81, I think, and then they just took took the next, like, two decades off, essentially. Um, but this will create better matchups, almost certainly, in the conference title game. It'll also create rematches, which you would think, oh, that's kind of terrible. But everybody liked that Clemson-Notre Dame rematch quite a bit two years ago when Notre Dame played as an ACC member during the uh, the COVID season. And if you are going to a 12-game playoff, which I still think is pretty likely, um, you know, unless – I guess you could stick at four if the SEC decides to do a two-round playoff for the SEC, you know, and just send their one champion to the CFP, which I, I don't think they're going to do that. Um, I guess it's possible. If As long as you go to a situation uh, in which you have an expanded playoff, I really don't think having your best two teams play uh, hurts you all that much. So better TV ratings for the conference title game, better matchups. On the TV revenue side, that's the play here for the ACC. Will it get ESPN to rip up the contract and give them a ton more money? I doubt it. But could they get some more money in the next look-in? I think it's certainly possible uh, if you know certain schools, including the one we podcast about, get serious about football. Um, and, and start you know doing well on the field. I also think this is just a lot better for the fans, man. I mean, the, these divisions that they have right now are totally contrived. And like, do you feel like you have any real true division rivals that you're you're hyped up that 
Do you have any any fans from Wake or Louisville who travel to Tallahassee every year? Not unless they got a kid on the team for the most part. So I I think this is potentially much better for FSU as well to set up more regional rivalries and not having to play Boston College and Syracuse and all those schools every single year potentially. Yeah. Yeah, it would let you go through the uh, the conference a little bit more. Again, uh, something that I've droned and moaned on about since the inception of this podcast is that, uh, you know, whether whether it's Florida State, whether it's Miami, whatever the biggest, you know, brand is when it comes to this conference and what would be beneficial for this conference, the fact that you don't have them either play in or against the team from Atlanta, uh, which is the, you know, kind of mecca of college football for a lack of better phrasing and certainly the largest media market in the country that is totally college football driven and dominated um, is not a great thing. So I I do think that the idea that Florida state and Georgia tech would cross paths more frequently would be a good thing for the conference would be a good thing for Florida state. Um, I think there's some creative things here that could be done. I just don't know exactly where that ceiling is as far as, uh, you know, where you tap out it, bring it in new revenue, or, or are you just kind of rearranging the chairs on the Titanic uh, while the rest of the college football world, uh, at least the rest of the college football world that you're concerned about, uh, you know, makes three times a year more than you do, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think the ACC has some good ideas. Wish they would have played with this earlier. Um, I'm, I, We've been suggesting know. this for a long time. Like yeah. me and you on this show, Back in the SB Nation days, like I would G chat with Bill Connolly about this a lot. He's been writing about like why do you have these fake, just made up divisions when when you could actually get better better rotation and more familiarity through the schedule since probably 2011, I think. Um, now part of this is that the ACC did not have the cachet to do this, and because if you recall, Jim Delaney, uh, who was just an absolute gangster. For, for the for the Big Ten. And look, he's got a lot better brands to play with, okay? I mean, people care about the, the schools in the Big Ten much more than the ACC fans care about their own schools. They just, they do. They, that's that's a much better hand to play. And they graduate like forty to 50,000 people a year from those yeah. schools. I mean, the big, right. those are big, big schools with... Land-grant universities that still are Still relatively significant high admission standard. I mean, good degrees and a degree, uh, you know... Uh, production house to an extent or a factory uh, line to an extent as far as how many numbers that they spit out. And obviously they've had the big 10 network and all sorts of things, but uh, what were you saying about Delaney? Oh, so Delaney had passed a rule. I think this was in 20, 2010 uh, that said you have to have divisions to play a conference championship game, or you have to play a true round Robin, which is how the rule got modified when the Delaney's big 10 Raided the Big Twelve to take Nebraska, and then and obviously Missouri and A and M uh, left. So really, it has not been until very recently that you had enough leagues willing to say yes to vote on the idea that you do not need divisions to play a conference title game, right? So like, while we can sit here and say that they should have done this, and I think they probably should have been pushing harder for it to try to rally some support from other leagues. Um, technically, it was not allowed. And until you know for next year, so I guess I'll give them some break on that. I, should we give the the audience kind of a feel for what this could look like for FSU? Sure, yeah, we should. Um, 
I do think before we do that, I, I do think that the it's interesting that we're talking about 2010, 2011, and stuff like that. You know, these uh, like these conference decisions and stuff like that, uh, these take five, six, ten years to really see some of the ramifications come to light. And I, I think a lot of the ACC's, you know, problems in 2022 are tied to leadership decisions made in 2008, 2010, 2012, etc. Um, so while Bud and I may be pessimistic about what this ultimately will mean, um, it is good to start implementing smart, proactive ideas for this conference with the idea that, you know, these things take three, four, five years to start spitting off uh, positive results and to start really having an impact. And what that might impact might be for the ACC is that, yeah, Florida State and Georgia Tech would see each other a lot more frequently. Uh, I don't think the Miami uh, game is necessarily in question. I do, Bud, wonder if Florida State and Clemson have to play each other each year. I mean, that's... Uh, I'm glad I don't you went there. I don't think that's permanent, to be honest with you. I, I could very well see us living in a, a day where Florida State and Clemson play two times, uh, you know, three times out of five years or something like that. I, I don't know that you have to see Clemson every year, and I think for the TV product it would be good, but it's not... Uh, the end of the world and um it would be a good thing for florida state potentially not to have to have that matchup every year so this is a really interesting question that, that you bring up and i, I want to start with the georgia tech thing real quickly had you not had the covid season can you recall the last time georgia tech came to tallahassee was it that lightning game yeah i think it was 09 wow okay so Georgia Tech, who is your closest geographic rival in terms of driving distance from campus. Now, obviously, Miami is closer for, I think, most of FSU's alumni, just based on where they live. But, like, it's close. I mean, you know. Uh, the next time they would have been scheduled to come, I think, was 22 or 23. Because they come this year to Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. That... The game where they came during the COVID season, that was not on the schedule. That was a, a made-up schedule for COVID-specific reasons when you scrapped divisions and, and you went and added Notre Dame for that one year. This is sort of similar to how Texas A&M joined the SEC when? 2012? No, no. Uh, when, when was... Because Manziel was, was the 2012 year, right? Um trying to think maybe they joined in, in 11 so, do you know that georgia has never played a road game at a&m yet mm -hmm. yeah and a&m's been in the league for a decade now that's kind of the similar thing like like when is the last time that give me another team that just like is, is way far away from coming to tallahassee here when's the last time that uh, well the Hokies came in what uh willie's first year Virginia, when's the last time UVA came to tally? I'm not arguing that they need to come to tally anytime soon. It's not like they bring fans, but it does show just the when, – when you get beyond like 12 teams in a league, it really does feel more just like a scheduling alliance, mm -hmm. and you don't really have the familiarity with these teams. So it would be great to see whether, whether Georgia Tech is in your protected rivalries pod, which I think they should be, uh, and – I think they will be, but I, mean, I guess that's up for for some debate. I guess FSU was pushing for Syracuse, uh, which we can get into in a second. Why we think they were doing so, 
uh, ha- like getting to play all these other teams more often is a benefit. You're not going to drop the Miami game. The Clemson one is interesting. I think Mike Alford would tell you we absolutely want Clemson every year, B- mainly for ticket sales, right? Like imagine trying to sell the, the season ticket package in a year where Florida's on the road, Miami's at home, and you don't get Clemson. So from a ticket sales perspective, you definitely want Clemson. Now, from a making the ACC title game perspective, that is certainly a more difficult draw. Um, maybe the counter to that is, hey, if you're worried about that, maybe you shouldn't be going to the ACC title game anyway, uh, potentially. So. I think it's probably better if they have Clemson on there for the overall like health of the program as far as ticket sales. But it will add more losses to your schedule than having, you know, maybe NC State or Louisville as as an annual. And Louisville's gonna get screwed in this because they don't have any traditional rivalry. So they're mm-hmm. they're probably gonna end up with like a Wake Forest, Syracuse, something else. Yeah. Pitt, um something like yeah, that. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh now, from an ESPN perspective, because the ACC met with ESPN the day after the conference meetings, uh, that was last week. I suspect that ESPN is going to say, we really insist that you put FSU and Clemson in, in the same scheduling thing, because it gives us a chance to have that abide at that apple twice every year. And like the word we were getting just from TV people is that they really don't care a lot about these mid-level matchups at all. Like it's like, well, hey, if you don't play Florida State Clemson every year, you're freed up to have Clemson three times and, and Florida State three times against sort of mid-level teams. And maybe the one name will carry that brand. And the word we were getting was like, hey, the value in these TV deals for these TV networks is really just in the very top matchups. We don't really give a damn about about Clemson NC State. It's an exciting game, it's just not, not gonna move the needle. Clemson, Florida State will move the needle, even if those teams are not great because of 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 the names uh, which i think also gets to your point man of like this league's not going to get out of this thing because even if like nc state gets good consistently most of the country won't notice or care no. and espn is not going to be willing to pay for serious tv like there's not those serious tv brands in here uh, especially independent of market independent of market uh interesting phrasing there yeah uh I certainly <clears throat> yeah I mean, long term, I think uh, I think NC State actually might end up being one of your better properties, but that's a that's a discussion for like twenty years down the road. Oh, Raleigh's and, coming up. Yeah, what happens with Raleigh in that part of the country? But again, that's a, that's another discussion for another time. Um, Syracuse, it's interesting. I mean, Alford said Syracuse. I told you uh, that I had heard some chatter six months ago about maybe Boston College being included. I think those two things are tied together. I mean, you're both looking at markets and in my opinion, having a conversation that's probably more appropriate 15 years ago uh, when you're talking about college athletics and market size and stuff like that. But um, let's, let's just jump into that real quickly. Cause that, I think that's an interesting thing to hear from your athletic director. Yeah. Um, and this is from Andy Staples of the athletic on Twitter, who said that uh, um, they were told, that uh, Florida State wanted uh, wanted Syracuse, and th- that was in, in response to me saying I think they'd have to get Georgia Tech in there, because obviously, like Georgia Tech for the fan experience is just much better. You, you know, any people who went to Syracuse? I mean, I, I do because I work in media, right? Like, I was gonna say, yeah, um, 
No, I haven't haven't met any yet. Yeah, they're just you're not going to see those folks at the water cooler very often. Um, it does feel like there's uh, like a year late or a decade late sometimes on some of this market stuff. I'm not really sure the market stuff matters very much at all anymore, especially as as we go to more streaming content and more on demand style content. What's going to matter is the demand, not not the region. Yeah. Um, that is a little bit perplexing to me. I think I understand where it's coming from. I think it's exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I think it's the idea of trying to put, you know, what are your bigger brands in one of these larger media markets? But again, I don't know how much traction you get. I don't even know what you get out of Syracuse, to be honest with you. Uh, I certainly don't. I'm not going to sit here and look at you and tell our listeners that that brings you in a New York market or anything else. Boston College gets about as much media attention as a large high school football game does in Atlanta. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just not, you don't, you're not getting the Boston market, um, nor are you eating there. Uh, when you, you know, talk about playing Boston college, and getting that game. Uh, so it's a, it's an interesting situation. I can see the appeal in theory. Again, I can see the appeal for talking about a perspective or a point of view that's 20 years ago when you talked about college athletics, uh, but I would be shocked ultimately if Florida State is paired with one of these larger northeastern schools. Yeah, I, I I would be very disappointed if you do this and you don't get Georgia Tech annually. Um, I mean, I, I think it is important that your fans have the ability to drive to three games annually. One of the things the SEC has is that you can drive, if you want to, uh, to over half of your games for almost any team, right? Like if you're if you're UF, you can drive the Georgia game, the South Carolina game. You could drive to Tennessee, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, it's pretty fairly easy. Yeah, I mean that's probably nine hours up seventy five. You could um, drive to LSU. I mean, we we, we flew we, we we flew to Baton Rouge because I'm not going to have you know Mags drive with two kids under two because uh, I was coming from a different location. But um, like you can, it's like a twelve hour drive from Orlando ish, and and you know you get the time zone change. Uh, you know, Florida is not even the best example of that potentially, right? If you're UGA, I mean, you can drive to you know, all of your games. Or maybe if you're in Tuscaloosa, you're in Alabama, you can drive to every game you have. Uh, yeah. You really can. Right. And that's not realistic in the ACC. But I think that is an important part of the fan experience, to be able to go somewhere, tailgate, walk around campus, see everything, all, all that kind of deal. Um, I'd be pretty disappointed if they are – thinking about markets here when I think markets are largely not that important anymore. And, uh, you know, uh, and they, well, they take away an opportunity to, to drive. And I think Georgia tech fans actually, not that there's a ton of them, but the ones that are actually Georgia tech fans, they will drive. They'll, they'll make that drive. You'll see some decent number of Georgia tech fans in Tallahassee, even with a terrible team this fall. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just can't tell me you're making decisions based off market and then not put Georgia Tech and Florida State together. Um, that's, right. That kind of kind of doesn't work. So, oh, um, one last thing I wanted to mention here, um, and credit to Ralph Russo for for bringing this up. Um, talking about like the ACC's grant of rights and you know, can anybody get out of this thing? And if if the ACC is a sinking ship, blah blah blah, which I think you know it could be certainly. Um, there's not a lot of optimism, he said that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be able to get out of their deal early. Now, the Big 12 grant of rights is not seen as strong as the ACC's is. 
And in theory, I mean, couldn't the SEC just loan those guys the money to get out early so they can go do what they want? They'd make it back. I mean, it'd be a loan, obviously. But like, if you're conference members, you're conference members, and you know, we'll, we'll just take it out of your out of your new rev share uh, over over time. I mean, they would need to come up with like a hundred million each to get out of like two years early of that Big Twelve deal. First of all. I don't think that's really realistic for FSU and Clemson and those schools to come up with because they would need a lot more than that to wipe out a decade <laughs> of grant of rights stuff. Don't um, you have to get to nine? Nine. To, to member institutions to blow up the grant of rights for the ACC? Yeah, because it would need to be on like five left. Or do you mean like they need to have under 10 teams? Uh, I think you'd have to have nine teams agree to blow this conference up for the grant of rights not to be in play. Uh right. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm grabbing it, you know, information from a while ago. But what I'm, my point is here, you have to have nine people go out on a limb. Now, what I could see with the ACC is that, you know, somebody just sits out there, goes ahead and makes the announcement and realizes that it's not going to happen immediately. And they just kind of facilitate the skepticism of the conference even further. Um, but. Yeah, no, there's no there's no loans that are going to be thrown out for the nine member institutions that try to, uh, you know, blow up this conference and leave four years early or six years early or whatever. Um, that do you think you have be. nine who want to get out? And uh, say, follow up. Do you think you have nine who would have a destination? Can get to, I don't think you have nine properties that, that somebody else would want to take in this league. You can get to six, seven, and eight pretty quickly, and then it gets tough. Like... Are you counting North Carolina? I am, yes. Are you counting NC State? No. Okay, are you counting Louisville? No. Here. All right, Florida State, Miami, Clemson, UNC. Duke has a place, despite being Duke. For hoops? Yeah. Well, Duke's, uh, um, Duke's endowment apparently went up a ridiculous amount in the last two years, mm -hmm. and now they are... You know they have a a uh, like a top quarter coaching salary pool now in the league. I was told. Hmm. I don't doubt because it. Because like their their yeah their endowment just like hit it really really big on, on some some startup companies. So if you wanted to know like why Elko went to Duke, that's probably why. Okay. Um, uh, Virginia Tech, in my opinion, would have a landing place somewhere. Just because of geography into the into the SEC and their fan base, I mean they have an attractive fan base for somebody. Uh, that's what's one of the more passionate fan bases in this in this conference. Yeah, yeah, they do care. Um, and then I start to struggle from there. And what we're at six or seven at this point. I think we got the five. No, Duke six. Okay, yeah. Virginia okay. Tech would be set well. All right. If you're the SEC, you don't need to take UNC and NC State, right? <clears throat> no, you, know? you don't. NC, uh, NC State, and that's why, I mean, all this stuff, politics get involved, who the governor is at the time gets involved. You're going to have a hard time in North Carolina. Uh, I, I mean, it's just it's going to yep. be real tricky. Uh, hard time in Virginia. Yeah. In my opinion, you attractive brands, just real quickly, Miami, Florida State, Clemson, Georgia Tech, UNC, I would add UVA to this to an extent, but you may disagree with me there. Uh, I, See, think I think Georgia be... Tech is, is attractive from a market perspective, but not 
as much to the SEC. No, I, I think they're a better fit for the Big 12. I mean, yeah, the Big Georgia 10. Tech and the, or yeah. the Big Ten, excuse me. Georgia right. Tech and the SEC have their own history there. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I can get to seven or eight that are – I'm not saying they're the bell of the ball, but they are they have nice things. I think they'd find a landing place. And It's and a lot of coordination you have work. to achieve, man. A lot of coordination, you know, because, like, you need all these teams to, to be able to get out of it to keep their mouth shut and then to f- all of them to find landing spots at roughly the same times. Well, and what you would need is you'd need the big 10 to come in and, t- and eat like six of these schools at once. That's what you'd have to have. Something yeah. Like that. Unless the big 12 suddenly found a whole lot of money somehow, like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they're the, maybe they're the league that figures out how to get the Amazon or the Netflix deal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually talked about this on cover three a little bit. I do think the big 12 could be a really interesting gambling, uh, adjacent conference because they have so many evenly matched teams and no real like elite teams that you're going to have so many games come down to the fourth. And I feel like eventually we're going to have like live gambling on our TVs to where you can like bet on games through your remote, mm-hmm. like live betting. Um, what, what better game to do that with than a game, a league that is coming down to all fourth quarters, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but anyway, I brought up the big 12 port or part, just because I feel like if if Oklahoma and Texas are not likely to get the money to get out early when they want to, right? Ain't no way Florida State and Clemson are. Yeah, and those are you two know? institutions that can almost light money on fire for fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean that it's just different. But a hundred million is still a little bit different, you know. Um, but who knows? Like maybe if California law passes, uh, maybe we'll see a, a drastic transformation. Man, uh, we'll, uh, we don't have time to talk about it today. I just wanted to. That's something on the horizon. That mm-hmm. is uh, is very interesting to me. So, uh, let me see. Something that I am more confident in than the ACC is a legendary team. So, we've got a bunch of different listener emails and questions we'll get to in the process of grabbing that. I actually saw an email from Jared, and I thought this could be as good of a message as possible when it comes to working with uh, Shannon and Chad and and the group over there that we've been so fortunate to have the relationship that we have. Uh, Jared writes, wanted to send a quick email and let you know my experience with Chad and the legendary team and Shannon and the legendary team. I worked with Shannon two earlier times, late in 2019, then again in 2020 for multiple different reasons, ended up not buying. Now the third time was the charm for me. My fiance and I got proofed within one business day, actually reached out to Shannon on a Friday morning and he worked out our package over the weekend with the approval coming on Monday by lunchtime. He was always super responsive, worked with us in every possible question we had and to find an answer to it. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know the Nolcast and the legendary team make a, a great partnership, and I'm happy to have played a part uh, in that partnership. Keep making the great product. Jared, thank you so much for the email. Uh, look, we hear nothing but great things about Shannon all the time, and Chad's an uh, interesting and uh, entrepreneurial guy in his own right, and we love working with him. It's a different market out there, y'all. And you don't need your friendly college football podcaster to tell you that. Um, you know, it, it's competitive. Rates have changed. Products that are appealing three months ago are maybe not as appealing now. Uh, there's no better time to work with Shannon and to have that guy walk you through this process uh, in the way that he does, as responsive and professional as anybody that you could hope to work with in this arena. Uh, great people for us. Great people for uh, we're we're real close to four hundred dog, uh, just remarkable the response that we've had, and we'd continue to push our listeners 
in the direction of, in our opinion, the best people uh, in the home mortgage field. No doubt about it. Um, as you said, rates have certainly changed somewhat, but uh, inventory may also be changing. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how many folks like made offers on houses and uh, lost them to just straight cash, homie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. to to steal the old Randy, Randy Moss line that there may be a little bit less of that right now. Uh, so, like, you may be in a better spot to actually get a home. You know, it's great to like get one in theory, but actually getting one is uh, is pretty cool. Really appreciate the email there. That is awesome, and we really love working with Shannon and Chad. Let eight four four FSU loan is the number to call. You want to do? Uh, Let's go to listener questions. I had some recruiting updates. Uh, Let's two things do... I got just real quick. Yeah, please. I, I heard I heard they felt better about Antavius Woody. Right. Okay. So that could potentially be something really nice there. I think he is one of the higher potential kids in your class that you just signed. Um, so, hey, how does this look if you're not going to sign a bunch of five stars? You probably hit on a couple of those guys in the process of getting quote unquote back. They do still definitely want to take a DB through either the transfer portal or through uh, the Juco market. I do still think that they are keeping their eye on some kids who could be graduate transfers, by the way. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. Listener questions? Listener questions. We've got a bunch of them. We're not going to be able to get to all of them this morning. A little bit of a tough schedule. I think we can do I, like a 30-minute uh, mailbag another morning this week. Yeah, I think we can roll these over and we'll throw up a, uh, a Patreon pin for those who want to continue to uh, contribute. Big thanks to our Patreons as always. Uh, Patreon.com backslash Nolcast if you have an interest in further supporting the show. Uh, Jeff says he's been listening to the Nolcast since 2016 and had missed an episode. Jeff, that's very impressive. And he submitted multiple five-star reviews. Jeff, that's even more impressive and appreciated. Good to uh, know. You can do multiples, yeah. by the way, guys. Not like uh, every day, but if you wait a little bit, you can you can throw another five-star on there. It's uh, great. There is some window of time, yes. Uh, currently living in Los Angeles and, look forwards, and looking forward to a trip to Tarpon Cellars next time he's in Napa. Uh, my question is... After listening to another pod that discussed Georgia and their recruiting success and, quote, commitment on equipment to recruiting under Kirby as compared to the way the programs like Cincinnati, Utah, Iowa State, Baylor recruit and develop that may not have the same Georgia, Bama, Ohio State level of resources. My question is, is FSU a victim of its own historical success by not adapting quickly enough to today's college football landscape and realizing it appears to be a program more like the schools mentioned that have lesser financial resources but excel at player development in order to help kids get drafted and still compete at the highest level. Instead of fishing in the same Bama, Georgia waters, should they be focused on kids with certain measures, uh, measurables and a larger emphasis on player development to maximize a lesser heralded recruit's potential? I've heard the mention of Florida State being more like the Tampa Bay Rays or Moneyball references on the pod in this way. Is there a blueprint these schools have that Florida State should be following or is Mike Norvell and staff already doing this, in your opinion? Can't think of two better people to dive in the subject than Bud and Ingram. Thank you for your content over the years. Lifelong Noel fan. Jeff, thank you so much for your email. Jeff, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I want to pick it apart a little bit. I don't I don't like 100% disagree, but I kind of like 70% disagree. So I, I, I'm, 
I'll, I like those questions. I think I 70% agree. So good. This'll okay. Be, yeah. This will be good. Perfect. I like this. So first, I think it is, even if Jeff was right about this, and I don't totally think he is, I think it is too early to try to switch to that model. FSU right now uh, is a victim of some pretty bad circumstance, I think, in terms of when Mike took over. And they just had two really ill-timed coaching changes. First one was was with the whole you know early signing period issue, and the next one obviously Mike came, and then they had the whole COVID uh, thing. Right now on the trail, they don't have a whole lot of momentum, and I believe that is because they have run out of their sort of new coach smell juice. And you have two other programs in Florida that are able to sell a vision. At this point, Florida State is not going to be able to sell a vision. It is going to have to sell proof of concept. Uh, I 100% believe that FSU can still recruit at a very high level, not like hidden gems, high level, if they either A, start winning, or B, if they don't win, get another coach in, restart the new coach, the, the, the new coach smell cycle, you know, for the 2024 year, not recruiting class, but for the 2024, you know, calendar year. One of those two things is likely to happen right? Either you win or you're going to have a new staff. I think the staff understands that. They're not idiots. Like they know they have quite a bit of leash, but eventually you do have to start winning some games and recruiting at a higher level. Um, here's a couple things to think about this. Utah, Iowa State, and Baylor don't actually play at the highest level, right? Iowa State just went, where they go, eight and four, I think. I just did the Iowa State summer school series for, for the cover three pod where I go through every single team in the country, basically. Eight and four is like the second best season Iowa State has had in like the last hundred years. Okay. Utah has had a couple very nice seasons. They're still not competing at the highest, highest level. You know, I mean, Ohio State had a ton of opt-outs in that Rose Bowl game and still won against Utah. Um, Baylor, again, I don't think they're competing at the highest level. The, the point here is that Cincinnati, Utah, Iowa State, and Baylor fans have very different expectations than what Florida State fans have. And I like that Jeff put in the victim of their own success because in some ways he is right about this. Not in terms of being stuck in like thinking they can do this, but I think FSU has to try to recruit at that level. I'm not really sure how many Florida State fans are uh, diehard enough to where if this program did sink a little bit, you know, and it's like, hey, like, let's just compete for conference, you know, conference championships, that type of thing. I'm not really sure how many would support, you know, a lot of these FSU fans joined when it came to an age where you were in the national title hunt. I'm not really sure how many Baylor, Iowa State, Utah fans or Cincinnati fans joined due to being in a national title hunt. Probably zero. Yeah. Also, Baylor has a ton of money. Like I would, I would not lump Baylor in to that thing. Baylor has an absolute crap ton of money. Uh, they're at a different level than those other schools mentioned. Yeah, and at this point, are possibly the most you know preeminent Texas-based school in the uh, in the Big Twelve. Yeah. It'll be also geography to too, man. Like those schools all have poor geography, except for well, even Waco is kind of crappy geography. Like it's not easy to get to Waco. Um, FSU doesn't fit in with that geography. Like Georgia, Bama, Ohio State geography is much more aligned with what the Knowles have. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So where I'm in agreement with the question is that, uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to take shots at anybody here, but I was relieved to see that the Tim Brewster thing didn't work out uh, because I think the worst thing that can happen to Florida State at this point in their recruiting process is to convince themselves that they have a chance to sign a four, high four-star or five-star prospect that they don't. You know, I think you have to be very selective with your battles here. I don't think you're, uh, you know, recruiting Sisters of the Poor or something like that. I'm not trying to tell this fan base that they're not going to sign uh, prospects. They, they do. You and I are somewhat in agreement. Florida State's still got a bright future when it comes to recruiting. Uh, but I do think you have to be selective with where you try to fight those battles. Uh, you have to realize that, in my opinion, over the next three or four years, absent some kind of super strong relationship, you're probably not going to sign the top tackle in the country or top defensive, you know, top three high school defensive tackle, something like that. Uh, Florida State, in my opinion, does need to do a great job of bringing in enough pieces each year to where there's a positive culture, there's a positive uh, – what's needed to play is conducive for ultimately being a successful team as far as a, a 12-year – or excuse me, a 12-month program – that's continually kind of beating, uh, feeding off of itself and competition is pushing and ultimately internally developing uh, the team. So not wildly different takes uh, when we talk about this, but I do think Florida State's got to be real careful about having people on staff telling them, oh, we got this wrapped up, et cetera, when, when mm, they just you, went through last year. When you just did that, when you just shot yourself in the foot, uh, convinced, you know, whether it was convenient or whatever else in a lot of meetings where, you know, yeah, we're good. Well, you know, you weren't so good on a lot of the situations. So um, I think you've got to be careful with how you pick your battles, uh, where they come. Uh, but ultimately, I think Florida State can sign uh, a class full of exciting high three-star prospects and really good four-star players. And that's what you got to do. And you got to develop the hell out of them. And you got to you know, uh, pride yourself, brand yourself, whatever, on being uh, a talent, you know, developer and that you're not going to sign seven of the top hundred kids in the country or something like that uh, for the foreseeable future. So uh, slightly different opinions. When we talk about it, we might be slightly more uh, on the same page than uh, I first realized, but really interesting question. And uh, thank you so much for your feedback. It's also, I think we could both agree that it is it is too early to to write any program as being like you definitely need to go this route for the long term because we really have no idea what's going to happen in the sport coming up right like it wouldn't shock me if 7 years from now we're able to sign sign kids out of high school to four year deals you know what i mean right to where yeah. like we're not having transfer portal because you're you're locked in or you know maybe with with a buyout um, uh, like, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? No, I would, so, it would just be it would be brilliant to have a buyout on. A, I mean, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, w would you put it past college sports to try to make money on these kids in, in a different way? I I wouldn't. I mean, they they do it with 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 the coaches. And I mean, recall that uh, 25 years ago, this month, the uh, the NCAA was sued by college coaches because mm -hmm. the NCAA, yeah, uh, like conspired to limit coaching compensation. And they're like, ah, it's kind of anti-competitive, I would say. Uh, not not real American there, NCAA. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I think with, with, well, like one thing the Rays do well is they lock up some of their young players for the long term, you know. And 
it wouldn't shock me if eventually we get to a situation where, hey, maybe you get a kid instead of Bama because you find him and you sign him early and you're willing to take the risk on him earlier in the process. And maybe you're right and they wanted to see more more out of him. They, they wouldn't offer him that that big time deal, you know, in June before his senior year or whatever. So I think it's too early. You do have to do a good job of scouting development. The way the transfer portal is set up right now is not going to be the way it's set up forever because it's, I think, untenable long term. I think it's probably a good thing that we have what is happening right now because it's going to it's going to speed up, I think, what needs to happen to the sport um, because it is a little bit craziness right now. But under the current landscape, like if you find a guy and develop him, you still got to find a way to keep him. You know, sort of the same thing with the coach. Mm -hmm. We have two uh, Chris Parson-based questions from Tyler and Cade. Very similar. Uh, Bud, they both are kind of based off how he performed recently in Elite 11 competition and whether or not you would see that uh, ranking adjust accordingly or uh, basically what Parson's uh, ranking looks like moving forward and whether or not you see 247 uh, touching where he's currently listed. Yeah, um, I, I have not had a chance to talk to anybody ab about this yet because I literally just got back in last night uh, from you know, from the funeral and it was over the weekend. He went to the Elite 11 in Nashville. Uh, however, Coop Protagna has a really good write-up on this on 24-7 Sports, which I would encourage you guys to read. Uh, Cooper, you know, longtime college scout, now works for us, was Chris Peterson's guy there at Washington, uh, also worked, you know, Michigan Harbaugh and for Cristobal. So certainly knows a thing or two about player acquisition. Um, generally, we write these top performers in order of like most impressive down the line. Uh, so he has three names at the top. Uh, three guys got invites to the Elite 11 finals in California. We don't always agree with the dudes who get the, who got the invites, by the way. Like, I think Elite 11 is doing a better job now of having more humility and realizing that they're not like the be all end all of QB evaluation. They used to try to take like these project guys uh, to the finals. And it was just, I was like, Oh my God, like, this dude doesn't belong. This guy's like literally five, six, like, what are we doing? You know, like, okay, he's a competitor. Who cares? Like, great. Uh, now they're doing a, a uh, they're doing a, a better job. I think of taking the kids who are legitimately the best and not trying to get cute with it. Uh, so, um, Anyway, three guys got got invites. None of them were Chris Parson. Uh, next kid mentioned was Malachi Singleton, uh, which I thought was was interesting. He's committed to Arkansas, uh, and then um, uh, CJ Carr, who's at twenty four, got mentioned, and then uh, Marcel Reed got mentioned. So uh, Chris Parson got one line and was mentioned with three other kids in that same line. If I'm reading the tea leaves here, and again, I haven't talked to Coop, so I'm not going to speak out of school. Based solely on that article, I don't think that, uh, and the article, the line was uh, Ole Miss commit Marcel Reed, Florida State, Chris Parson, and Pittsburgh commit Kenny Minchie all had their moments throughout Sunday's event. Uh, Reed appears to possess the most upside as a passer out of the bunch as he continues to fill out his frame. Both Parson and Mincie uh, were steady throughout the day. Um, yeah. That doesn't suggest to me that like Parson tore it up or that like he's like, oh my God, like we definitely had this kid rated wrong or anything like that. I have said on the show many times, I think you have too, this staff seems to like Parson a lot more than other college staffs do. 
committed to you know uh, it if we rewind three and a half minutes ago the florida state would have been willing to give that contract to parson before any other school did and you know what i'm saying i mean right, they, exactly they, they made they're a, betting they on their evaluation they, of parson they uh they saw something that others did not and, and it's interesting and well i don't want to say others did not but they they put more stock into it and um i think carson's a nice prospect i, I just think if you if 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 your own internal validation on Chris Parson is to see him ranked as the 102nd prospect in the country or something like that, I don't think that's going to come to fruition. Uh, you know, you, you've got well, to trust. He has a top 25 QB. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like. What's he national? 300 something? Uh, he's. I, I can't get to that. Okay. Uh, right now well, that's bad um, podcasting on my partners no I no i i just they, it's, they do uh, some research for me but uh but yeah um so that's that's where it is i i think you can be excited about parson and be uh encouraged by what he's going to bring again i just don't think you're going to have that validation of seeing him be a high four star you know flirting with anything um other than that so um we still got some decent questions like you said we'll uh, throw up a mailbag, a, a mailbag circle back to it Good to be able to get something out this morning to our listeners. Uh, <clears throat> my beloved Glasgow Rangers are playing in a European final today on a, if you want to talk about money ball, on a starting 11 players averaging up to about $14 million in transfer fees, which is basically hilarious. And, you know, Chelsea would probably pay $30 million for a backup left back. So uh, I, I had to get it in this morning because I'm going to be a wreck and distracted the rest of the day. Uh, Bud, thank you for making it available after your uh, bereavement situation. My best to Maggie and her family, and uh, certainly happy to be able to get something out to our listeners. And like you said, we'll uh, have something either later this week or over the weekend for uh, a Sunday, Monday publish of a of a mailbag. So as always, uh, <clears throat> thank you to our sponsors. Uh, we will be back with you here later on in the week. And uh, until then, this has been the Nolcast. Enjoy it, buddy.